Are you looking for a chance to connect with other development professionals and learn the latest in fundraising best practices? If so, join us at the beautiful Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida for the 2022 Petrus Development Conference on June 13th through 15th. Connect with others from fundraising offices, both big and small, from dioceses, campus ministries, schools, parishes, apostolates, and more. Register today at PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. The first 10 people to register in the month of February will receive a $25 gift card to use at the Naples Grand Resort restaurants. Space is limited, so visit PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22 to reserve your spot today. Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Ren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait. And welcome back to our fourth installment of our Holy Donors Rap Party episode, The Wildcatter, Season 4. George Strake Sr. I am your host this time, Thaddeus Romanski, and I'm just stoked to be joined by the rest of our crew, Andrew, Matt, Ren, everyone go around, tell the folks what they've got in their glass. I've got a little bit of day drinker bourbon on ice from Treaty Oak Distillery outside of Austin, Texas. Cheers. That's fantastic. I've got crystal light peach iced tea on the rocks. All right, Matt, what do you have up there in Oklahoma? I actually, I don't have anything. I, I ran in here to set everything up and I didn't grab anything on the way in. I don't even have water. Oof. Yeah. We feel badly for you, man, but we're glad that Thank you're, you're here and along for the ride. Ren, what do you got? I'm going whiskey and Coke tonight. Jim Beam. Keep me Excellent. awake. I'm not awake at this hour usually. So I figured I'd go something with caffeine. That is a classic combination. You can't go wrong with some Jack and Coke. So, like I said, I'm uh, I'm Thaddeus, our host for this little uh, get together, this little late night shindig, and uh, we are just really pleased with how the George Strake season played out, how it came together, and we're going to kind of go through that tonight. But uh, first of all, we always like to bring you a little bit of behind the scenes kind of tomfoolery for um, insights and the great efforts that have been put in by a whole host of people to make this Holy Donors podcast a reality. And we're going to start tonight by having Andrew talk to us about a little ditty that we like to call Foof. Sure. Thank you, Thaddeus. One of the things that I don't think that I realized when I started getting into podcasting uh, years ago, but in particular for this Holy Donors season this show is all the different components that you need in term to make a complete show and so whenever we were starting we were we were figuring out all right what's the sound of the show and and everything else and so we started talking about music and ren knows a lot more about this stuff than i do and so he said well you know if we want music then we need to get the license of a song that we might was produced by somebody else or we have to create our own music and then we can run that. And so I reached out to some friends who are some musicians. They connected me with a great guy, Tommy Kibido. And Tommy said, yeah, yeah, just tell me the sound. Let's do it. We'll do it. 
And so he started working on a couple of different pieces. And uh, what he came back with was the, you know, great uh, song. That's our intro to the show. But then he said, I was trying this other thing and you guys tell me what you think. And so we started listening to it. And I think we were all listening to it like on a zoom. And I was like, I recognize that song. What the heck is that song? Where is that from? And finally, somebody else on the call was like, wait a minute. Is that faith of our fathers from <laughs> like the hymnal at church? And sure enough, it was. Uh, he took faith of our fathers, which is, you know, a, I don't know, 150 year old classic or maybe even older and kind of remixed it, remade it and turned it into a, a great song. And so we we went back and forth with which to use. And ultimately, we split the difference and put the, the song that Tommy wrote in the beginning and then Faith of Our Fathers is how we close out every season or every episode. And it, I think it's appropriate for what we're doing. You know, uh, a lot of our shows, a lot of our holy donors are, they learn their lessons from their parents or from their fathers. And so, you know, Faith of Our Fathers is totally appropriate. So that's how we came up with the music. So Tommy Kibido from Third Tom Productions, and he does great work. And he's a great composer, great musician, and we're really grateful to him for putting together the music for our show. Yeah, thank you so much, Tommy. It's been a real pleasure to have that as the kind of bookends of each of each season and of each episode, his, his fantastic work. Now, Andrew is being a little bit modest here because when, you know, Ren told him we're going to have to come up with our own music. Now, isn't it true, Andrew, that you first said, oh, great, I'll just beatbox something um, and we'll use that. Uh, yes. In fact, I try to beatbox on every season. I thought that was just <laughs> known by the audience as well. Fresh Prince, Three's <laughs> Company. What else am I beatbox? I don't even know. <laughs> Awesome, man. No, we're just we're just playing around, just having some fun with you, brother. Yeah. So, Andrew, we're going to move into our next kind of portion of the rap party evening with some reflections on Strake and what we got out of the season and what we what we learned from the season, you know, takeaways. But to kind of set that up, we like to do what do we know about Strake in this case going into the season? And so, Matt, why don't we throw it to you first? What did you know about George Strake prior to diving into the research and the execution of the of the season? Yeah, you know, I, I joke around a, a lot about this season in particular. You know, when I'm sharing with friends and family what we're doing, and and they want to know who who are, who are kind of spotlighting and telling the story of sure, at sure. any time in the whole process, I would mention George Strake. But every time that I would mention it, they would say George Strait, you know, the country singer, <laughs> right? And I said, no, 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 George Strake with a K, George Strait, uh, not the country singer. I don't know anything about the country singer, but, but this gentleman was that. But so you asked me the question, you know, what did I know about George Strake prior to starting? And if you would have came and asked me, hey, who's George Strake or, or said, hey, we did an episode on George Strake. I would be in the, the group of people who probably would have gotten mixed up with George Strait, the country singer, as opposed to George Strake, the uh, the wildcatter slash finder or, or sponsor of, of the findings of St. Peter's Bones. So really, it's a fascinating story, but I, I had no idea who he was or anything about him until we started doing the research. That is so hilarious. I was with two families of, of ours that we're friends with. We, we got a place this last weekend and uh, hung out together for the weekend. And we were sitting around Friday night talking 
and I was talking about holy donors and going through who we've spotlighted. And I kid you not, I said, George Strake. And everybody said, George Strait, George Strait is Catholic. What? That literally was the reaction. And I had to do the same, you know, sound like I'm getting doing speech coaching. It's no George Strake. George Strake. So that's been true in my circle as, as well. Just to get myself out of the way, I all I knew about George Strake was that he was the namesake. I assumed he was the namesake of the high school in Houston, Strake Jesuit. And I just figured, oh, he's some, you know, he's a rich Catholic guy, wealthy Catholic guy who had made this Jesuit high school possible. And that that is all that I knew about the man. And wow, there is so much more to know about George Strake. Isn't that right, Ren? Yeah, I came in knowing almost nothing as well. I'd never heard of George Strake. I didn't know what Wildcatter was, and I probably could not have pointed to Houston on a map when we started researching this. <laughs> I apologize to the Texans, but it is that's all right. Sense. We can't point to Michigan on a map. You know, it's just like not Texas on that black, exactly. dark part of the U.S. So and I, I think it's, it's all sure. good. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I live in the Upper Peninsula, and the Upper Peninsula often gets left off of maps, which is, I mean, we kind of like it that way anyway. <laughs> okay, now, Andrew, Andrew, I saved you till last because you actually have the closest degree of knowledge and the fewest degrees of separation from George Strake Sr. Isn't that right? That's a pretty amazing story. Yes. So I know a lot about the Strake Foundation. So I grew up, my dad worked for the Strake Foundation for, uh, gosh, almost my whole life, probably 35, 40 years. And he started as the accountant and then became the director of the foundation for a number of years. And the Strake Foundation, I think we talked about it in episode five, they give away somewhere around two to three to four million dollars annually to Catholic organizations across the city, across the state. And so my dad was the grant manager for a while, managed all the applications. And so I remember, uh, you know, when I was little, when it was take your son to work day, like I would go and I loved the downtown offices. You know, I got to ride the tall elevators and hang out, but I would like hang out in the straight foundation offices, uh, playing file cabinets and you know, probably eating paint chips in the back offices and, uh, you know, stapling my hand to, you know, various pieces of furniture and the, all the things that kids do when they go to work with their parents, right? Do you think that was part of why you wanted to get into the nonprofit world, into fundraising because you were around it as a child? Yeah, I, I think it w- it made me open to it. I honestly, you know, as a young child, I don't even think I really recognized what my dad did and what the, <laughs> you know, I was totally oblivious to it. So uh, I do know that when the opportunity came to work in nonprofit, work in fundraising, that, you know, the first call was to my dad and he was like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is a great profession, great field. So I think that it sort of when the opportunity came, it made it easier. But yeah, I was pretty clueless as to what my dad did for most of my life. So I knew about the Strake Foundation. And then I grew up uh, going to Camp Strake, the Boy Scout camp outside of Houston and Conroe. And I can remember some cold and miserable nights at winter camp. It always rained every year at winter camp. It without fail it rained and it was freezing cold and our tents leaked and it was miserable. But that's how I associate with Strake, George Strake is, yeah. So what have I said? I I ate pink chips in the Strake Foundation offices and I 
froze my rear off at Camp Strike. So I don't know why we highlighted it. It doesn't sound like a really <laughs> positive experience that I had, uh, understanding that I had growing up. But as we as we soon found out, digging into the man's biography and then not to mention his legacy, which you were more you were more kind of familiar with his legacy. But then as we got yeah, to for sure. into his actual biography, what a story. Um, that deserves probably a bigger stage than a podcast. Not not to downgrade the good work that we do here, but this is the stuff that legends, you know, legends are made of for sure. As a way to transition, you know, we called this season the Wildcatter. And Ren, you confessed that you didn't even know what a Wildcatter was. Why did you think uh, it was a team decision? But you know, why did you feel like that was still a good title for the season itself? This season is really two stories in one, right? And both of them are taking huge risks to dig underground and look for something that may or not, may not be there and could lead to total failure if it's not there, right? And that's, that's what wildcatters do. And that's what both these stories were. One for looking for oil, one looking for the bones of St. Peter. And so once I learned what a wildcatter was and what that all involved, the risk that they take and the hope for a big reward, it, it made total sense that this season was all about that. So is that fair to say that's one of your main takeaways from this season? Yeah, that that willingness to take risk, you know, for the hope of greater glory. That was a big part. I, I love this season because of that. I also love the characters involved. Like when you look at you know, the three amigos that we talked about in the Vatican, Carol, Montini and McGuff, really cool, inspiring guys. I mean, there are also some kind of shady figures. Uh, and, and we talked about Furua a lot in this one, in this story. Um mm-hmm. So there's you know some good and bad, and that's true in all ages. But it was cool hearing those stories. My other main takeaway, I'm sure this resonated with all of you, is happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> Strake made that big deal. His wife told him, all right, if you're going to put our last dollar into wildcatting and looking for this oil, if you strike it rich, you never question me and what I, get, what I buy ever again. And would you guys have accepted that deal? I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but whenever I said to Cheryl that I wanted to start this Holy Donors podcast. She said, if this hits as big as you think, you will never question my spending again. And, and I just laughed. I laughed at her. I said, okay, well, then we're not doing it. She said, okay, fine. You can do it. I'm not going to spend any more money. If this hits, if this hits like a Conroe oil strike, then Matt, what did you love about George Strait? What was your big takeaways? You know, George Strait, it's just an unbelievable story about a man who has this unwavering faith in his church and in the people around him and Father Carroll and the Pope at the time. I mean, imagine what, it, what kind of faith you have to have to be approached by these gentlemen and say, hey, uh, we don't know if we're going to be successful. We don't know if we'll find the bones. We don't know if this will even come to fruition, but we're asking you to write us a blank check and pay for the whole thing. And we'll see, we'll see what we can find. We'll do our very best. We can't guarantee anything. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And then he takes it another step farther. And he said, I don't want any recognition for it. I don't want anybody to know that I'm the one doing it. I don't want any, I don't want my name on it. I mean, after the fact, after, uh, you know, years later, we, it is found out that he is the one, but he himself doesn't want any kind of recognition for doing that. And to me, it's just this, it's just radical. I mean, we, we're on Holy Donors to tell stories of people who have radical hearts and radical generosity in order to change the world. And he not only has all that, but he has this radical sense of 
faith in people in, in his church, even beyond uh, salvation and that, but in the people leading the church. And so he, he jumped on and then all the other pieces that he was able to be a part of and help fund and, and save through World War II. It would definitely make an excellent movie, but, but really it's just, gosh, I can't get over this radical generosity that he had to do something amazing like this. All of our holy donors were connected to the organizations they support through great development officers. Do you want to learn to raise more money for your organization? Go to PetrusDevelopment.com education to learn about our free Petrus Academy offerings every month. See you there. Hey, Ren, do you remember a couple years ago when we went on that snowshoe hike in the woods trying to figure out how to help more Catholic organizations raise more money? I do, Andrew. We had a great conversation about the need for churches and other nonprofit organizations to build new buildings, hire new staff, and increase their mission, but their need for a strong foundation of development skills. From that hike and that conversation came the idea for a manual for the annual fund, which is the fundamentals of development. From that conversation, we built the Petrus Annual Manual Program. It's crazy how just a couple of years later, we've helped dozens of nonprofit organizations just through a simple development calendar guides and samples, and a weekly call with a consultant, raise more money, and get a more solid footing for their development operations. It is great. You can learn about the annual manual yourself by visiting petrusdevelopment.com slash annual manual. I'm going a little bit off script here, but since I wasn't a part of the actual in-studio recording, as we all remember, since I had the little stomach bug, we never really got a good firm sense of why he thought that it was critical to put money into this project. Did we Did we ever get a, a firm statement of why he wanted to be a part of it or why he wanted to back it other than that he was asked and he had the means and so so he did? So one of the things that we'll talk about, or I'll talk about in a minute, is our conversation with John O'Neill, the author of The Fisherman's Tomb, who was fantastic. He was a really great resource for us and gave us a lot of really great stuff. But John O'Neill talked about how George Strake was a, you know, he taught himself to read by reading the Bible. He read the Bible Mm -hmm. literally every day of his life, but he had a passion for the historical fathers of the church. And so... Um, We didn't really talk a lot about that in the episodes, but that was something that George Strake was really interested in, was understanding the history of the church. And so in part, it was, he was asked, right? You know, uh, he had the means, he was asked, but I think that it scratched his itch of wanting to understand the history of the church and be part of the discovery of the history of the church in a pretty profound way. So I think that it probably was of most appropriate project for him, especially given that interest. He's kind of a kindred spirit for you in that way, Andrew, right? Because you consider yourself somebody, uh, you know, a bit of a history buff. You like digging into history and especially the, you know, nooks and crannies of of stories. I do love history. I love kind of get, right. you know, getting in and studying that stuff. I think that that's, you know, the case for all of us, really. You know, we all kind of approach it from a little bit different lens, but I think that's why we're all attracted to this kind of project and, and learn it. So, you know, I think if any of us uh, hit an oil well and become, you know, one of the third richest people on the earth and the Pope calls us and says, hey, I've got a secret project in, you know, Antarctica to find something, you know, church related. Yeah. I mean, we're going to, we're going to jump in and throw some money on it too, I bet. Maybe the moon. I don't know. 
That sounds like something out of a Dan Brown novel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, we we kind of slid past that. Let's make a U-turn and come on back, Matt. Tell us about why would Ren make that reference about Dan Brown? <laughs> you, you know, if you read their books, yes, I do enjoy a good Dan Brown novel. But if you read his books, the whole Fisherman's Tomb and this story of going on the search to find St. Peter's Bones, it could be Dan Brown's next bestseller. It really could be. We could get in a little uh, changing of history here and changing of doctrine there, and maybe that's what's next. Well, that is to segue into my takeaways. That was definitely one of my main takeaways of this, was just learning more about my fellow co-hosts and you know, his love for wonderful, amazing writers such as Dan Brown. And who really, can't be understated. It cannot be understated. He's amazing. It really struck me. That was one of my biggest, my favorite takeaways of the season was just getting to know, you know, the other guys that I work with and their literary tastes. You know, so that, that really that. makes me happy, Andrew, that I can, I can add to your, your love of doing this project. Uh, by by sharing a piece of my soul that you guys can can take and drive over and then go to reverse and go back yeah. over it again. Yeah, throw it in the wood the chipper. Go back over this third time. Oh, this will not be the last time that our <laughs> listeners will learn about your love for Dan Brown. I don't want to give short shrift to your takeaways. What else I, I had more takeaways. I did have yeah, more takeaways from the season. Yeah, what else so, do you yeah, have? I appreciate that. I did. I really loved it. You know, like it was, uh, I kind of you know talked about it when I first started is I knew a little bit about Strake family, the Strake legacy, the Strake foundation. I genuinely knew absolutely nothing about George W. Strake and this work that he did and how he started this tradition of giving in his family and uh, certainly, you know, the Apostle Project. So I think that a big takeaway for me was just his like sacrificial giving. Uh, John O'Neill talked about it a number of times in the interview we did with him, but right, the oil well hits, uh, he's in mass and the the workers come in and they say, you know, Mr. Strake, Mr. Strake, we've hit a gusher. And he says, hey, hold on, I'll be there when mass is over. And then ostensibly he goes and uses you know, most of the proceeds from that oil well, after I'm sure he pays the workers, to build a new church there in Conroe. So, you know, he's like constantly making money and giving it away, making money and giving it away. And so I thought that that was uh, really cool because, you know, a lot of people that you know, make it on our list as holy donors or just in general as, you know, big philanthropists, they make a lot of money, they save it up, and then they spend the second half of their life or the end of their life giving it away. And that was clearly not George W. Strike Sr. I mean, he had to keep his wife's spending habits under control. So the, the more that he <laughs> yes. could give away, the, the more that he could kind of limit what she could spend. Yeah, I guess so. So <laughs> I, I thought that that was cool. You know, it was also neat. One of my takeaways that we didn't spend a lot of time on is you know, he was a super devout Catholic, right? George W. Strike was, but he got involved in, he didn't just give all of his money to the church. You know, he gave a lot to the Boy Scouts. He gave a lot to, you know, some of these Jewish refugee programs that were, you know, supporting people um, that were coming over after World War II. He gave the, you know, the property in Colorado, he gave that to the uh, the navigators for them to use for their ministry. So, you know, I thought that that was another takeaway is that super generous guy. He really did look all over for projects that inspired him and, and supported them. So those are a couple of my takeaways. Awesome. Well, I heartily support everything that all of y'all have said. 
to this point. And I, I loved getting to know about this man's life and especially his, his role in the Apostle Project. What a story. And such a convoluted story, such a, a story filled with an amazing cast of characters like Ren alluded to, that I would just want to say that I think it's a ready-made maybe not a movie script, but I mean, you've got something that you could do a treatment of for a movie script right here in this podcast, the way that we've covered it. I mean, I think we should take this to, uh, you know, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 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 As long as we can get Tom Hanks to play father, Walter Carroll, just like he played so well in that. What was that movie? The something Gosh, Dan, Dan Brown wrote it. I it's Matt. What was the name of that movie that, Tom I'm not a, saying a word. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. I, I did want to get a debate. Speaking of characters and, and who should play certain characters, I wanted to maybe have a little debate or de- not a debate, but a, a little discussion here on who would be the main character. Because I think you could you could tell a different story based on who you decided to put in kind of the main character role. I personally would actually make Margarita Carducci the main character in the movie because I think her faith journey is so appealing to me to know that she was away from her faith uh, certainly in practice when she came on to the team and, and kind of took over the execution of, of the project and then by a, being a part of it and putting her god-given talents to use she returned to her faith and became and died a faithful Catholic. That's you know I think awesome. you know I think what is really interesting about that that is and it didn't just occur to me right then, but her faith journey you know about coming back to her faith, it, like a major part of that faith journey was basically being attacked for decades by Father Ferua and by you know basically the entire arm of the, the institutional Vatican. church. Yeah, yeah. And That's yet, true. in spite of that, you know, she she died. What did we say? She died at, uh, in her 90s and maintained her her faith in maybe not in some of the institutions of the, you know, the, the church as we see it, but certainly in, you know, the teachings, the practice, the magisterium, the, uh, right. you know, the, the faith and not the institution. Right. There must be there must be something true in the faith it must be the true religion in spite of being attacked and persecuted by the sinners that inhabit it. Yeah, that's a great, a great point, Andrew, and it makes it all the more compelling. And I think, you know, Catherine Zeta Jones would make a great Margarita Guarducci. That's who that's who I'm I'm throwing up there. Yeah, I was thinking Angelina Jolie. That she would make a great Margarita Guarducci. But I disagree. I, I think if it's a if it's a story based on redemption or coming back to the faith, I think your take Thaddeus would be would be great. However, I think a an adventure story of following Father uh, Walter Carroll going from from his point of view, where he he's asked by the Pope to go find the donor, and he meets George Strake, and he convinces of them, and they come back. You know, the whole piece of kind of taking a bull by the horns and going in the World War II hits, and and he's saving all these people that are being really persecuted by the Nazis and helping them, you know, addressing them as priests and, and people of the church to get them out of there, as well as taking on the Nazis who had taken over. Was, was that a school yeah. or a church that they owned? Where yeah. he went in and he was like, get your butts out of here to the Nazis, did that whole piece. And so I think that would be a great, great adventure story to tell. Could we take some, some artistic license with the bio of George Strake and have Father Walter Carroll come up to 
Strake's mansion and call out and say, is George Strake here and have his wife come out with a pistol and say, who's asking? (laughs) (laughs) Who's asking? Yeah, I think that's great. And you know who I think should play Father Walter Carroll is Mark Wahlberg. Marky Mark would be... He's a badass, and you know he he would play Walter Carroll pretty. He's a faithful well. Catholic too. I think that there's enough characters in here that we could have a whole mini series. You know, maybe the Avengers. You know, the Captain maybe a Netflix version of the series. Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, we got Father Walter Carroll. We got Giovanni Montini, Pope Pius the Twelfth. What about a Anthony Ferrua? What about Ferrua as the main mm-hmm. character, telling it from his yeah. perspective? Yeah. Boo, boo. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> These meddlers are always messing These with These meddling me. kids. <laughs> These meddling kids are always messing with my archaeological digs. Yoink. Oh, jinky. <laughs> what does he say? Jinky. <laughs> well, it was just a what a ride to be on this with you guys to learn about George, George Drake Sr. Never giving up, always a fighter always a risk taker till the day he died. And I think that is a great inspirational note for us to end on a man who came to the aid of his church when it came calling and a man who gave of himself and gave to the last ounce, you might say the last ounce of that oil that he took out of the ground and turned into cold, hard cash. He turned around and made great things and a great charitable foundation out of it. And we are so thankful for George W. Strake and his legacy and the legacy of his foundation. So thank you all for listening to this season of the Holy Donors, uh, season four, the Wildcatter. And now we're going to turn it around to Matt to give us a sense of who's up next. Who's up next season, Matt? Yeah, I'm really excited to, to share the story of who's up next. It's a, uh, a great baseball player. Uh, somebody I looked up to as a young man can't even really argue, but I would say for the time he was definitely the goat of baseball. A man who had he had a a sinister side. He definitely was a center. He was not a perfect man. He had his struggles, but in the end came back and really turned around and, and had a great end to his life. This person I'm talking about is a faithful Catholic, and his name is Babe Ruth. The Great Bambino is our next Holy Donor. Wow. I'm really excited about this because our first four Holy Donors have been obviously Holy Donors. We ask that question at the end of every season. It's a slam dunk. Yep, they were a Holy Donor. You're telling me that we're going to have somebody that might be a little more in the gray area. eh? Yeah, I mean, it's something I'll enjoy the conversation we have on, on discussing whether or not he was a Holy Donor or not. But I think a lot of what we hear about him is this fantasized or the legend of Babe Ruth, which holds a lot of truth, but we forget the other side of them. You know, we hear the, we hear the bad stuff, the stuff that everybody shares, but we don't hear about his personal life, a whole lot, his spiritual life, that kind of stuff. So we'll get to dive into that and really share pieces of why, why he made it onto Holy Donors, uh, which is funny because we actually debated whether or not he'd make it on, uh, or we should, we should spotlight him or not before we actually brought him in. And we finally, we finally made the decision. Yeah, this is going to be great. I am really ex- excited to listen to the produced episodes because this is another one of those seasons that I was not a part of because of my affliction. 
So this is going to be really enlightening for me. And I had no idea that there was a black legend of sorts about about Babe Ruth and the kind of a, a man he was and certainly how he ended his life. So this is going to be a, a great season to listen to. We all encourage you to tune in for the next season with Babe Ruth of the Holy Donors podcast. And Andrew, we're going to let you have the last word. Well, I can't wait for season five with Babe Ruth. Thanks, Thaddeus. Thanks, Ren. Thanks, Matt. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Can't be understated. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors, brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends, and check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. If you're interested in hearing more stories about women in philanthropy, both as fundraisers and donors, check out our new Women in Philanthropy podcast, hosted by Sarah and Tara. New episodes will be posted monthly. Subscribe now on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Faith of our fathers, holy faith. We will be true to thee till death. You just got to remember not to unmute so we don't have to constantly be saying, Matt, Matt, you're muted. We can't hear you. <laughs> so so it's always me now, I guess. Well, it's uh... always you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> On, you know, take your dad to work day or if I was sick or had the day off, I would go and I would hang out in the offices of the Strike Foundation. Wait, take your dad? You had to I mean, take your sorry. dad to work day? Take your son to work day. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing, dude. Andrew's seven years old in a white-collar job. He's taking his dad to work. That's yes, incredible. I, I was a very gifted seven-year-old. Thank you very much. <laughs> Matt, you're muted. You're muted. <laughs> you're muted, Matt. Son of a bitch. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> he knew I was going to do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> Faith of our fathers, holy faith, we will be true to thee till death.